0: the stars they were told of hello everybody hello but there's, no
1: but there's no England now I hope you're all having a good night hope you all had a good day up here in New York it's been it's been nice it's been nice oh did I leave the house today let me think what's today Monday I did not. I didn't leave the house today. It has been crazy. Crazy, but in a very restrained kind of a sense, obviously, because I have not... It's just like... one. It's great. You know, you have to try to find some ways to create some tension in your muscles just so you don't go nuts. You need to have that. But um, I was restrained to the office for most of the day. Uh, when I say most of the day, I mean that there's other parts of the day where I actually walked into the kitchen. and uh, But now here we are. At 7 o'clock on a 8th day of January, it's Monday night, and we've got a wonderful show ahead of us tonight. Wonderful show ahead. We've got a first-time guest. Her name is Jennifer. Many of you guys and gals know her as J is for Justice. That's on YouTube and elsewhere. We're going to talk a little bit about what she does. It's a true crime night tonight. And we can go all over the place with this one, but I would love to talk about uh, any kind of... Really interesting ongoing cases that um, that Jay is following, and and a few other things that have been coming up on the show, including cult activity. Because I'll tell you, I've been talking about things like uh, this. This, I don't know. Everything always has a very cult-like um, tie-in and draw to things, and um, and we're going to be able to do that a little bit of those the dot connecting tonight, and especially for somebody like Jay who's really into uh, analyzing what's happening, specific cases, and those are the people who really are able to recognize patterns quicker than others, especially when you're driven by a passion. That's, uh, that's huge. So I hope you're all doing well, and I hope your weekend was nice. You might be noticing something right now. I'm broadcasting here from Studio B uh, at home instead of at Studio A. And why is that? Well, because our tech upgrade weekend actually led me down a very costly path. And I can't broadcast from the studio right now. I won't be able to until maybe next Tuesday. I had to buy a whole new computer. I had to first design it with Jim Lee. And the the one I'm using right now, I'm hoping that I can use in some way. I can actually bring that into the music room, and that can be what I use to uh, broadcast all of our love the live performances with the band and uh, all the streams that we put together and stuff like that. But uh, for now, it's uh, it's one of those things where I spent a lot of money today, and there's a lot. I had to coordinate a lot of IT and tech help. That's uh, that's going to be ongoing, so. There's just want to let you know, we're going to be in the cozy confines of my home studio for the rest of this week. And um, and I'm going to have to take Monday the 15th off because that's going to be a big installation day. I figured I can get all my friends to come over and help me because they're off for Martin Luther King Day. I don't get that day off, but I'm going to have to because it's the only day they can help me because there's some things that I just can't handle and I don't want to screw up now. Other than that, I, what else I have uh, for you as a little announcement before we get around to introducing our guest and kicking off the intro here. Uh, we got great other uh, great uh, subject matter this weekend. We got Char- I'm going to be on with Charlie Robinson tomorrow. I got Emily Francis. She's going to be coming on with me on the 10th to talk about the Mediterranean living and diet and all that. Pat Halsey will be on with me on Thursday to talk about precognitive dreams uh, and then a whole bunch of other fun stuff that goes on next week. But there is one thing, ladies and gentlemen, I must throw your way. And um, this happened to me now on Saturday night. You want to talk about true crime as I play some Artie Shaw. I did We had snow here on Saturday afternoon and into the evening. And it was something else. It was nice. It really was nice. It was the the first snowstorm of us in our new digs. But I'll tell you, around 11 p.m., I was working, I was looking out of my front window. The snow had died down, all was very still. Most of the neighborhood was already sleeping at this point. It was quiet, there was no cars, no plows, nothing. Just that bright post-snow glow that almost is as bright as daylight, but it has a blue-gray kind of a filter, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Well, anyway, I'm looking out the front window, I'm admiring the scene, the first snowfall from our, our, new, our new spot living, and I have a coffee in my hand, and that is when I noticed something in the street strolling right by the house and into a neighbor's yard. What do you think it was? You guessed it. It was a possum. It looked like a 30-pound potato with a rat tail, and let me tell you, I wish you could have seen me because I could. I was looking at myself from the outside of myself, okay I was obj- I was an objective third party at that point looking at myself from outside the window I can see my scowl from the front window looking down as this thing walking by the the the, uh, the, the house I, it, you, you know like one of those movies where they have one of those bigoted old curmudgeons like uh, Clint Eastwood and Grant uh, 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 um, uh, oh God it's not coming out now. Anyway, like Clint, Clint Eastwood, or anybody, where you you see somebody that's seeing a, a I don't know, like a Puerto Rican family moving into the, uh, the 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 old neighborhood, and they just can't get over the change or something. I felt like one of those characters in a movie. I was watching this thing move in to the neighborhood a year less than a year after the other one was removed. Oh man. If uh, Jay for Justice is listening to me right now, that she's probably wondering what the hell is all this about possums and is, am I missing something? Oh, yes. You've missed a lot, Jay, but we've only just become friends. Don't worry. We'll be right back. We're going to introduce her and jump right into it. Don't go anywhere. It's going to be a fun one. Are you a Chicken McNugget? No. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. We're talking true crime tonight, and there's plenty to go around, plenty of weirdness to go around, and uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit about our guest as we bring her on a little bit early, because why not? If she's sitting in the lobby, I just want to bring her in. Jennifer Youngblood, she is the brains and the voice of the operation on the J is for Justice channel on YouTube. Uh, in the crew trime podcasting world, podcasting in general, uh, Jennifer has amassed a large monthly audience of over a million listeners and along the way has had her work uh, featured on shows like Dateline. And now tonight she has the honor, the privilege of <laughs> of being on, quite frankly, as well. Uh, Jay, welcome to the show. How you doing?
3: Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, you, exciting. Look, oh, this
1: is very, very exciting. I'm so happy yeah. to have you on. Glad to be here. Nice I even, to meet you as well. Oh, very nice to meet you. And I even took out a little bit of Bobby Darren for your appearance here. A little Mac the nice. Knife. Nice. Have you ever jumped in? You know what? Before we get into anything else, in your background and how this all started, have you ever done any um, organized crime related um, the stories or, or or anything like that?
3: You know, I haven't. But recently, I started getting interested in um, some of the mobster stuff, but I haven't dug deep into that yet.
1: Are, are you talking been about like gone there yet. classic stories
3: like Jimmy Hoffa, you know, because I'm from Michigan and right. the whole Jimmy Hoffa thing is intriguing to me, but I haven't had time to dig into it.
1: You know, speaking of digging every couple of every couple of years, actually, I think it was just a couple of months ago. I saw another Hoffa headline that they, they think that they they know exactly where it is. He is. Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. So, I
3: grew up in Michigan, so it's like every so often we'd hear like, "Oh my gosh, they're digging for Jimmy Hoffa's body," and then they never find it. So I'm, yeah, I feel like I need to dig into that more.
1: Why not? You know, and I, that's the thing I would say when it comes to organized crime, I would rather talk about something that happened 70 years ago uh, mm-hmm. than, than get a little bit too close. <laughs> a little bit too close. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting question right there too. Do you or anybody in your line of work do you ever? um say hey, i think this is a little bit too close to home on on things or this is still a little bit too a little bit too raw a little bit too unresolved i don't want to get close to this because i may not be as protected as somebody else
3: yeah but it's not in the mobster cases believe it or not sometimes well that happened to me specifically in a missing child case that was unresolved and it was really it got really weird and really dark with some of the theories hmm. You know, that she was sold and just, yeah, I don't like going there at all. That that kind of thing I don't like gambling with. I like awareness of missing people, but when it comes to something that was unresolved and could result in that and you get too close, it's a little scary. Because well, you don't know who's behind it.
1: Right, right. And, and I I brought this up with other with other friends of mine who 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 do the work that you do and and uh it's one of those I don't know what you want to say double edged swords it's great that so much of the world has been uh, given the ability to put their minds to the test i i remember in 1995 i'm like 9 10 years old and we even had all our all our own theories about oj simpson you know, and we're, we, and we're just watching that go on, and it was like, no, 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 I was thinking about this, and he, he had the cut on his hand, because he was probably home drinking a glass of wine, he heard that his ex-wife had been killed, and he was so shocked, he dropped the glass, and he, you know, you know but, but now, now because of the internet, there has been so much more involvement from just people out there, host and mm-hmm. audience alike, and, uh, you know, there, there's some unique opportunities to actually crack some cases that had been cold and, but also you can also screw things up along the way too, if you're not careful.
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've seen it go both ways, Frank. I've seen, I've seen YouTubers, you know, help solve crimes like the Gabby Petito case. YouTubers actually spotted her van and um, that led to her, the discoverance of her body. Um, But then I've also seen people online that add things to crimes you know, to make them more sensational as if the crimes we follow aren't bad enough, but they do it. And I think that that hinders the investigation at times. I mean, you hear a lot of times that, and it depends on the case, but we've heard from law enforcement say, you know, we don't, we don't want tips from YouTube. We don't want you to, or we don't want tips from social media. So those things I believe can be a hindrance in certain cases.
1: And, and how did you get started doing what you do? Is this just a passion? Were you like me growing up watching Unsolved Mysteries uh, back of in the day? De- yeah, so.
3: Of course, you know, it was actually Unsolved Mysteries. And the first true crime case I remember that really freaked me out, like you said, when you were like 9, 10 with OJ, I was like six when Adam Walsh was um, abducted. And I remember that because that was the start of Stranger Danger in schools and all this, you know, the, mm. the milk cartons and the Walmart had the Atom Code Atom. And it was something that was instilled in us in school, you know, don't talk to strangers. So that intrigued me. But then also the Unsolved mystery show was probably the very beginning of watching all of these. And believe it or not, like I've gone back into un- old Unsolved Mysteries and I actually interviewed one of the people from an old show from the 90s where a girl went missing. Wow. So yeah. I mean, going back and watching through those and kind of looking up those people to see if they're resolved yet. And if they're not, you know, reach, we reach out and try to get that back into the limelight.
1: So what was, who was the, the person, you don't have to give us any, any detail. Oh, I can
3: tell you it was the Angela Hammond case, which most people probably never heard about. But she was abducted from a payphone in Missouri, and the only clue they have is a truck, a green, like '70s style truck with the fish on the back window. You know, like those that supposed to like obstruct the view into the back window of the yeah, truck, and yeah. it's like a fish. Yeah, that's the only clue they have, is that she was put in taken by this guy at a phone booth and put into this green, creepy truck, and they never found her body. So I it, talked to her best friend
1: okay best friend, that was with was,
3: her that night mm-hmm.
1: I was gonna say if you had were you talking to the investigator or somebody somebody close to the victim mm-hmm. okay her it, best
3: friend and it's just like you see her as a grown adult now they were you know high school they were seniors and now to see her as an adult just it's it can be heavy at times, Frank you know to see these people and hear their stories and how they've had to live throughout their whole lives with this unresolved of their, their loved one or their friend.
1: So in her case, there was nothing, there There was no big conclusion or anything that they could actually no. rest on. That Mm-mm. was it.
3: And her mother passed away um, two years ago too. So that was really sad to hear. But, yeah. you know, I mean, who knows? One, all it takes is one person to see something and go, I might have a clue on that, you know?
1: Right. Well, well you know, on that, because you know, I know that there's, been always, there's always been a growing And a a very strong audience for a true crime. Uh, I mean, but the only thing that's really changed is that there is now more, more than a few ways of being served, served it. I mean, we had to wait for new episodes of Robert Stack and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, unsolved mysteries and new seasons of that. But now people produce it independently and there is so much to listen to that you, there's literally not enough time in the year to Mm -hmm. get through it all. So I know that this is just exploding now. We got podcasts. Uh there's another another um another genre of media now that is we have legal commentators as if it's watching a sporting event who are have brought new life to court TV that they're actually commentating on on court cases. Do you do any of that?
3: I have not, no, but I am intrigued by the law tube. They call it LawTube yeah. on YouTube. I love watching the lawyers because I don't have any. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an investigator. I'm just a a regular person who has an interest and a passion for these cases and digging into them and trying to figure out, you know, what's here and what's there. Um, But I do love watching those lawyers because we go through a lot of court trials and documents that we don't understand. And so we find our favorite lawyer and we have them break it down and then we understand it better. So that we're giving out factual information instead of sitting there going, "What does this mean, you know, and trying to decipher it? I think it's helping me be more factual.
1: That's what I was gonna and that's what I was gonna ask you because oh are you working sources? Were you developing your own leads? but uh, there's a there's this this amazing hand in glove kind of relationship between private uh, investigators and people who are just better at conducting interviews and, and bringing, bringing in audiences and creating discussions around these things, uh, almost like managing the open forum around these subjects. And so you, so you are more on the, the media coverage and discussion end of things. You've never actually launched your own investigation.
3: No, mm -mm. No, we just follow cases that are going on, um, or ones that there's just certain ones that pop out to me. I won't follow every single case. Um, it's literally, and I can't even put a, there's no exact science to it. It's just, if I see something that happened, it will like draw me to it. And I'll be like, okay, I want to follow this. So it's not every case. Cause there's a lot of them, mm-hmm. ton of them. I mean, like you said, it's content for, for years with true crime, but I like to, to follow them and get more deep rather than, you know, just brushing the surface on everything that's going on. In different cases if that makes
1: sense oh it does and, and and listen you've definitely found yourself doing really important things and getting acknowledgement for it i have this one minute and 51 second long pretty much uh sizzler sizzle reel that you have up on your youtube that sh- sizzler. yeah it's a sizzle reel <laughs> uh, of uh, j for justice j is for justice on dateline nbc this was in 2020 Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to play this, and then we're going to talk about it right afterwards, because okay. here's a little bit of an example of how uh, there certainly seems to be a little bit of at least some overlap between worlds, where you're in the discussion and, and uh, open forum world of, of media, and then, of course, there is, you know, there there is the playing field where it's all actually happening. So let's take a listen to this. Hold on.
4: Dawned over Austin, Texas. Heidi Broussard and her newborn daughter were still missing. Austin police officers were canvassing the area with the help of the Texas Rangers and FBI.
0: The longer that time goes by, frankly, the percent chance of recovering the
1: mother or the children alive goes down dramatically. We don't have a person of interest right now. We're exploring every avenue that we have and every possibility.
4: Heidi's friends began to fear the worst. One of them agreed to do a live interview on the podcast, Jay is for Justice. How long have you known Heidi? The interview went on for an uneventful 90 minutes. And then...
3: Wait a second, you guys, we have breaking news. All of a sudden, in the chat, there was breaking news that there was a raid going on in Houston, Texas. Um, It may be connected to a high-profile
4: case. Heidi's friend, Carly Laughlin, was in the chat room and decided to do some sleuthing of her own. I started Googling who the address belonged to. What did you find out? A baby registry popped up. Carly jumped back into the podcast and typed her discovery into the live chat. Someone I mean, just said, said in chat that there is a baby registry to the owners of that house. Okay. okay. The podcast about Heidi took on a sudden urgency. That's her best friend. <gasps> she would not be there. <sighs> oh my God. It didn't make sense. Reports came into the podcasters about disturbing developments in Houston. Something scary. Wait a minute. I just got a text. Oh, my God. Nothing could prepare them for the devastating news that was about to be revealed.
1: Okay, so it's a big cliffhanger in that one. Now, this is the first time I had seen anything like this. Um, so I would love for you to just talk about this particular situation, because there you are in the middle of it, again, uh, it, it's one thing for you to be covering this stuff and to actually talk to somebody close to the case. It's another thing to actually in the, in the middle of what you're producing, there's breaking news going on. You're in the middle of it. I mean, that's just, it, it's just an incredible Testament of what independent media has become right now. So can you describe a little bit of, of the um, just the, the very, very key point of this case and what had happened in the middle of that broadcast you were doing?
3: Sure. Sure. So Um, Heidi Broussard was a mother that went missing out of Austin, Texas with her six-week-old baby. Well, we heard about it in the news, so um, our team reached out to Heidi's friends via Facebook. And one of her friends, Caressa, agreed to come on the podcast because she was missing. I mean, this was not something that was put out there to be sensational. This was really... I mean, we're looking for this woman and an infant baby. So it was, you know very crucial that they wanted to keep getting the word out there. So Caressa comes on the show and we're on for about 90 minutes just talking about Heidi and who she is and you know just kind of trying to pick her brain on anything that sh- might have seemed weird and you know the last month or so. Um, and while we were live with Caressa the news broke in Houston even though this happened in Austin that there was a home being raided and her her friend didn't you know, pick up on that because it was a different city right at first. Hmm. Um, But it turned out it was a friend, a very good friend of Heidi that abducted her, murdered her, put her in the trunk of her car and had the baby in her house pretending that it was hers. So quite crazy. And it all broke while we had one of Heidi's best friends on the show. And it was, I was put into a position because, I mean, this was like something that I don't think has ever happened again to somebody. So I did, you know, put her on mute so that she wasn't exposed to the whole internet while she was, you know, finding out this news, but she didn't want to hang up with us because she didn't know what to do because it was just so shocking. So, I mean, in her words, in hindsight, she said, I'm glad that I was on with you guys when that happened. So that was her experience with that. But yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy being in the midst of it because there's things happening. They're finding a baby registry because this Megan had planned the whole thing, setting up a baby registry, telling her boyfriend she was pregnant, and then ha- keeping Heidi's baby for herself.
1: Hmm. You, you know so. th- this. This also it, it's just another. Uh, it's a testament of how of how uh, anybody can do. I mean, anybody can. T- I'm going to go buy myself a microphone and I'm going to learn how to stream. But to be able to approach subject matter as sensitive as this, mm-hmm. with the respect that it would take to to be able to, because it, it's one thing to say, oh well, we're, we're, we're reading a headline from the New York Post and we're gonna crack a joke and we're gonna give our personal takes and our theories, but when you're actually on the phone and you're dealing with people who are involved, especially when you're talking about something as tragic, a violent, uh, you know, some kind of a, a violent crime or whatever, there is a there is so much. Uh, it's just such a fragile situation and it really speaks a lot to your, your uh, personality, the responsibility you have to take to be able to do this. Right. So that's really great there too. The fact that she felt comfortable around you, that, that's uh, says a lot about your, your handling of this uh, subject matter.
3: I try to be very respectful. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't approach these cases as like, you know, a spectacle. I don't approach it that way. I I approach it where I want to help raise awareness or help someone who's struggling and isn't getting answers or, you know, whatever their child's missing, you know, it helps them. And I try to be very respectful um, to the sensitivity of these cases, if that makes sense. I mean, as much as you can, because there's a lot of different people out there that do things different ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah well yeah. you know when when in the in the very the the cases when i pick up stories like this um what becomes a for those of you who are in this kind of a genre of you know of media when you are in that uh, when you're in that category of media and you're laying out all of the aspects of a case and you're trying to get to the bottom of it and discuss it uh, it, it, you go way deeper than someone like I would usually. Where I'll I'll read about it and then I'll be like, oh my gosh, this this uh, it, it's very humbling kind of a thing. So it, it's a, I think it takes a special type of person to make a spectacle about this, just because if it doesn't humble you, that's just like a like what the hell happens when we're talking about the the ending of especially young lives. Like for example, um, for weeks, for weeks we got so much about the Idaho Four. And I didn't get, uh, I really didn't get too close to the subject matter, but Mm -hmm. I mean, just on the, just the headlines alone, it's horrific. You think about, you know, if you're a parent, you think about sending your kids off to college and then of course they never come back and, and to have it done in in such a, uh, a, with the barbarism on top of it. Um, Where could, what couldn't you say about something like that? Where are those cases right now? Because we were inundated with it and then it all went away.
3: (laughs) If you're in the community, it's still inundated every day.
1: The, the rest of us, the rest of us, we're, we, we've moved on to 98,000 other disposable stories already. So, <laughs> so, t- so tell us about that. And I'd love to get into other cases of interest.
3: Okay. So the Idaho 4 case has been, I mean, comparable to Bundy at this point, right? Um, we have people from that the perpetrator is innocent, that they have they, they think they have no evidence on him. To, you know, the other end of the spectrum there. Um, The Idaho 4 case has been extremely, extremely huge. And it still is if you're in the true crime community and you're watching the videos. Because we have four victims' families who have four different standpoints. We have four different victims. And then we have the one perp and a sealed case. So when you have a sealed case, it leaves it all up in the air For people to make up the wildest things. And that's why I understand why they seal cases. 100% understand that. But then on the other hand with social media, it just leaves everything wide ass open where people can just insert, you know, it's like insert here what you think happened. So it got a little crazy, you know, especially with the two surviving roommates. That whole aspect of it, we've seen them blamed. We've seen them accused of being drug dealers. We've seen them accused of being the actual murderers. And you have two young college age girls. I can't even imagine my daughter is that age. I can't even imagine the trauma they're going through surviving this and then being accused of killing their friends. But it's happened and it's sick.
1: Hmm. So so right now there's still only one perp uh, uh, officially. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. but as far as you're talking about, as far as where the Internet goes with things, that is where, uh, the suspicion of the, the two surviving roommates comes from, or is that coming from more Mm -hmm. official sources?
3: No, 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 of YouTube and just YouTubers, true crime YouTubers. It's a lot. I wouldn't, yeah, and it's, it's just, and you know, these girls see it because it's everywhere, you know, and it's just, that hurt, that I don't like. I don't do that. When I say sensationalism, to me, that's sensationalism. Like, we have to use common sense. There's a reason the case is sealed and it's not because they don't have any evidence, right? I mean, that's just ridiculous to think they have someone arrested. He's awaiting trial, but you know, people have to make more to it. And I think a lot of it is for clicks and views.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it absolutely is. And there's a lot because people are hungry for it. And I think when you know that there's the, the demand is so high um. That and you want to be able to set yourself aside from so many other people who can and do do it. There, that's the reason why I think. Um, I don't know. People just resort to guerrilla media tactics like that, and it always comes out really not contributing anything nice to the situation. But as far as you said, it's sealed. Um, what does this mean? When, when does when does the when is is there a trial ongoing or uh, or when is that? You know, slated that's, to happen.
3: Well, well, that's another thing is that we don't have a trial date. They have now asked for a summer trial. So we don't know. There's no trial date. Everything is mm. up in the air right now. So it's that's another thing. We just have no, there's no end. He has a hearing the end of this month. I believe the 26th of this month, Brian Koberger has a hearing. Um, cause he's tried every tactic in the book, Frank. He's, Filed motion after motion to try to get the grand jury indictment thrown out. He's tried to get the witnesses thrown out. The I mean, he's he's just played games with the he's trolling the legal system. What about the basic?
1: But what about his basic character profile as far as how he knew? Was he a fellow student? Because I seriously don't know too much at all. Oh, you don't? You don't know
3: the basics? The the basics of
1: him? Why he is the prime suspect at this point?
3: So he was a Ph.D. student at um, a neighboring college, WSU. And these kids went to University of Idaho, but they're close. They're only 10 minutes away, even though they're in different states. So he's living in Washington State, and he crosses state lines, and he commits this murder in Moscow, Idaho. So he was a Ph.D. student, and now it's come out that a lot of his students complained. Um, He was creepy. He helped a girl— who said her apartment got broken into. He helped her set up cameras and it's rumored that he was the one that broke in there. And then she asked him for help. Um, His car was seen. The white Elantra was seen in the area of the King Road house where they were murdered. Um, We don't have a whole lot of evidence, but we have several search warrants we can read. And um, a lot of people think he's innocent just because they can't see that evidence right now.
1: So at this point, are you using... It, it, it is a good amount of why you believe he is the uh the the murderer just circumstance and your gut since everything There's is so sealed There's a lot
3: of circumstantial right. evidence against him. Um they found a knife sheath next to one of the victims and his DNA was on the snap. Oh. So that was the biggest thing, but it was such a like Minute amount of DNA that they sent it off to this lab called Oathram in Texas. And they have a new system where they can take literally like if you touch your shoulder and you leave DNA, like trace DNA right there. They can take from that small amount and
1: from fabric
3: get a profile. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. From anything. They don't need hardly any like smaller than the tip of a pen, of a pen. And they can make a profile from that. So that's what they did. And they took the profile from the snap on the knife sheath because he used a K-bar knife to stab all four of them. And they matched it through genealogy. They got his father's DNA and matched it through that way. And then they used um, genetic genealogy to figure out who he was.
1: And there's no reason other than... He's an outsider who stalked and murdered these people. there's no other reason why his DNA would ever have been in that place Mm-mm. Oh, no well, because I mean,
3: the defense says there's no connection to the students.
1: Well there you go I mean that's 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 pretty damning
3: but then you have all of these search warrants for all of their social medias Instagram um Spotify all these different things that he could have connected Tinder, things like that. So we don't know if he was watching them on social media, you know, like an incel watching them from afar. And then there's also some creepy Reddit um, users that we suspect were him. Inside looking and outside looking were posting on Reddit with details of the crime before his arrest. And those people have not again posted.
1: Well, I suspect that most people on Reddit are serial killers already, <laughs> so I would not be, well, I would oh, not really? be, yeah, I would not be, I think that, I think that the, 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 the highest concentration of serial killers on the internet are on Reddit. On Reddit?
3: I, I really, you're probably right, because I, I think I, you know of the Long, Long Island serial killer?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay,
3: Rex Hurman, right? Yeah. So I was searching, researching that, and I came across some stuff on Reddit, and I feel like he could have made some posts a few years ago. But it's hard to tell. You know, you don't know, but it's like, how would they know that? You know, the things that they say are creepy.
1: It wasn't, maybe, I don't think, I don't think it was Reddit. It was something else. My, a friend of mine, Shane Cashman, he's been, he's done a lot of really interesting work on this as well. And he had picked up, I think a couple of years ago, well, I forgot what he said, but it was some kind of a forum. It maybe it was a subreddit where it was a whole bunch of people that uh, mostly guys that were getting together and they're going through all the, what what some people thought was a larp where they're just they're just going through all these violent sexual fantasies in this forum mm-hmm. but uh but uh my my friend Shane says that he started to suspect that this was that uh, these were the actual real writings from at least one of these murderers out there that was <laughs> leaving leaving behind cuz it, it looks like this was just a Almost like a, a a private death club, that could maybe it's you know one guy maybe there's one prolific killer out of all of them, but it had to be it's a little bit more of a network, and um, mm. so I, I forget whether or not he said that was Reddit, but he that that that's pretty interesting. It really Reddit
3: is. or 4chan, it's one of the two.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> I think I think it was Reddit, but I'll ask him about that. You well, let me ask you about this then. Mm-hmm. Um, other ongoing cases, you had mentioned something very very. Quickly about a doomsday couple that you were, you mm-hmm. were uh, looking into. I'm very interested in doomsday cults and doomsday uh, schemes and all that. I, I, what's the uh, the basics of this story?
3: All right, so this is the Chad and Lori Daybell case. Chad and Lori Daybell are fr- They have their roots in the Mormon religion, mm. um, but they broke away and created their own. I don't know if you'd call it what you'd even call that, but they created their own little thing. And I guess Chad Daybell had about 25,000 followers when they were arrested. But at any rate, um, she was, Lori Vallow was convinced that her children were dark, dark spirits. And Chad Daybell would rate them for her. So Chad Daybell was married when they got together, but they started going to these preparing a people events. And that was how they all met, was at this preparing a people. And they would talk about, you know, the end of the world and things like that. Well, then Chad and Lori kind of started their own little gatherings. And Chad would rate people and say, you know, they're, they're this number dark or they're this number light. And light would mean they're good, dark would be bad. Well, he told Lori that he her children were dark and that they had to do something about that. So long story short, her ex-husbands died prior to her meeting Chad. So she's had this evil, she's had things going on with her brother. It's deep. But back to the Chad and Lori side of it, her children go missing. And she's in Hawaii with Chad. And nobody can find the children. The grandparents are scrambling around. Where are the kids? Um, they finally arrest her, bring her into court. She's told she has to produce these children, and she doesn't. They end up buried on Chad Daybell's property there in Rexburg, Idaho. So one day, all of a sudden, we see there's choppers and people digging, and they found their bodies. So Lori, the mother of these children, was convicted, and she is now just been transferred over to Arizona to face more charges for the death of Rex's husband, Chad Daybell is going on trial, and his trial starts fittingly April Fool's Day, so that's one we're definitely definitely going to be covering. Um, it's just crazy these cults. We have the these other YouTubers, um, Eight Passengers, Ruby Frankie, and Jody Hildebrandt, another Mormon spinoff of
1: i'm telling you well, the, the, like behavior jay this is a very very common thing we were the more and more more and more were looking into it i mean I, this was something that was popping up when i was when i was talking with uh, mike king of profiling evil not too long ago mm-hmm. um also in our own little circles we have some old school uh private investigators that are that are our friends of mine that they, they saw the uh the, uh, the Hamlin case in Utah developing from the, the onset. And, of course, that is all tied into uh, Mormon church, and there's that aspect of satanic ritual abuse and trafficked orphans. And uh, it, it's it, it's incredible, the pattern. And it always crosses state lines, and sometimes it goes international. It's, it's nuts. It's nuts.
3: It's nuts, too. When we watched—well, we couldn't watch Lori's trial because it was— audio only, the judge didn't allow cameras. But all of these people in their orbit testified against them and they got deals. And it's like they knew what happened to those kids. You know they knew what happened to those kids, but the only ones who paid the price were Chad and Lori. So this problem isn't going to end. You know, these people still believe their effed up beliefs and they just, you know, testified against these two and then they're on their way Still doing the same stuff.
1: Do you see cult activity? Um, I mean, I, I know that we, you know, you look through the the world through, uh, I don't know, they, through, through whatever kind of lens glasses you have there, you're gonna you're gonna see it all over the place. But if this is what you do, do you see cult activity on the rise in these cases? Because I, I think it's the most pervasive thing that we have going for us, but most people can't detect it um, because mm-hmm. most people don't. I, I don't know. We, I don't think that we really react to things rationally anymore. I think it, it's only through more fixed, predictable, limited sets of responses, and and it's usually tied to you know uh, group identity, which blocks every other kind of discern you know a really uh, valuable point of discernment out there. And I don't know. I, I see this thing becoming a lot more um, a lot more pervasive than, than people think. What, what do you, what do you, do you usually see some kind of a, a string of cult-like or ritualistic, um, flair to things these days?
3: I feel like, I don't know if I see more of it. Cause like really the Chad and Lori thing was my first kind of dip in the water with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just absolutely shook. I really didn't know much about the Mormon religion before that happened. Um, But yeah, I mean, I just feel like people are more going to be like, see see something, say something. And maybe these these cults are going to be more um, put on blast rather than hidden anymore. I kind of feel like there's more awareness to what's going on with these cults. And it's just, I feel like COVID as well got people more into finding somewhere to belong and that's what's really scary
1: that's that's very that's very profound right there because other channels channels that i really enjoy watching like truth stream media um Mm -hmm. you know uh really graceful that some of them have become really good friends of ours Uh, they had done such great work and we did too uh we did too uh to an extent i went into uh the old police records of Theater, uh I think, I think it's from the the mid '80s or the early '90s, of how to break down, how to break down a, a cult indoctrination, and where this really goes. And I think we did the the profiling of a of a death cult. I think that's what we did about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and and when you hold it up against the COVID timeline that we were living through, it is it is astounding when you see how mm-hmm. important isolation was the breaking and changing of routines the uh, the taking away from a person's breaking away from a person's family do i mean there is very it's like cleaning the slate your own slate and reprogramming yourself and that is done obviously in very microcosmic ways in these smaller little cults and groups but when you see how that has been laid out on a national and international program it, it definitely hits all the same markers for bringing people into a new way of, of seeing reality. Not even just, oh, I have to wear a mask to go to the bank today. It's just everything, the hypochondria, the the paranoia, the being able to, the, no loyalty to lo- to friends and family, you'll rat them all out. You know, it's, uh, I, I think you really hit on something there.
3: Yeah, I just see, think as a whole, not even just in the true crime, you know, I've seen my family in, in in itself, you know, argue about politics and they don't speak to each other over it. And it's like, what? You know, I just think that people lost I don't know. I don't know how to put it into words. I think what you said was perfect. I just think that as far as in the true crime genre, people have found places where they fit in and they want to fit in somewhere and they're lost souls and they meet these people and they're going to these preparing a people, like in the Chad and Lori case, because they're looking for something. Mm. You know? I think but it, I haven't got into cults as deep
1: as you have. Well, you know, there's plenty of time. There's well, it's
3: one of those <laughs> things where maybe you don't want to get too close sometimes with that.
1: That's what I'm saying. That's why I asked you up front, are there things that you just say... I like the distance I am from this. I think we can still do good, good work from this distance. And yeah,
3: you know, I'll give you an example: the Danny Masterson Masterson trial. I said I ain't touching it. I live near Clearwater. I'm not touching it. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> I'm just not doing it. Why? You know? Why is
1: that though? Why? Because is that... of the
3: Scientology. I just didn't want to oh, go there. I forgot about Mm-mm. the
1: Scientology aspect. That's yeah, right. they had
3: his back and everything else, and I was like, nope, that's just one I'm not gonna do.
1: Well, listen. You want to talk about uh, again uh, all the deals that are made for people, uh, the way the the uh, astounding ways that some of these people have wiggled their way out of really really serious issues when they have been tied to things like some of those Mormon uh, churches in 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 Utah and or or even just other towns and cities that seem to be consumed by a certain way of doing things. Like I said, I we have we have friends that had. Had spent nearly thirty years digging into the the uh, digging into Boulder, Colorado, and not even just fine focusing on jean Bene Ramsey, but being able to set the backdrop of the entire city of what was going on leading up to that very well publicized murder. And it when you consider institutions, uh, they, they sometimes they may wear a Catholic. Uh, a Catholic face, a Mormon face, uh, this and that. They they have all the different, all all the uniforms, all the costumes that they could wear. But there is just a very familiar uh, evil thread that runs through it all, and it does not matter what it inhabits, just as long as it continues to consume. And that I think in itself is the scariest thing about uh, poking into these poking into these stories e- even for cops by the way because the, I'm sure the one thing that another thing that you have come across the way is there's plenty of law enforcement who have you know tried to do the good the 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 right thing and they have come up against the wall of resistance within their own departments and sometimes have even lost their lives because they're not crooked it's it's uh it's serious mm-hmm
3: mm-hmm well, we saw that with the Long Island serial killer, didn't we? Mm-hmm. That's up there by you with the corruption in the PD. Yep. With the sex workers and all that,
1: too. Absolutely. I mean that that cop and his and his girlfriend brought brought the stripper to Hewerman's house, right?
3: right? Right. I mean right. That's, that's just the
1: tip of the iceberg of all that weirdness that keeps coming out.
3: Mm, yeah, that whole thing's bizarre. Have so, you
1: have you ever tried to get in touch with the the, the lawyer out there? What was his name? Park? Parker, I forget what his name is.
3: Oh, the lawyer for the Gilgo victims.
1: He 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 usually wears the very fancy. Uh, yeah, hats.
3: I did. I did actually reach out to him, but he, I didn't. I he told me to call him, and I called him, and then the next thing I know, he was on court TV. So I was like, he's probably not gonna entertain me at this point. But um, yeah, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head.
1: I think um, that, I think that you would do great with him, and he probably would entertain it because just like with the Idaho Four I know that it that that the Long Island uh serial killer is very very um it's a hot topic for people who are in this but I- I'm sure that somebody who is actually working the case wants as much attention to stay on it as possible it's yeah Mr
3: John Ray that's his name
1: Ray not Park sorry Yes,
3: John Ray yeah and he wears the the funky outfits and but you know what <clears throat> he's done a great job having the back of these girls and their families. And I think that's another really interesting thing is that we've gone from calling sex workers hookers and not caring about them going missing or ending up dead to calling them sex workers and actually having lawyers and people fighting for their justice, which didn't happen before, right?
1: No. Yeah. There wasn't
3: any kind of empathy for sex workers. I mean- Look at um what was that Operation Midnight or what what was that called that the CIA did back in the day where they watched the uh men have sex with the prostitutes.
1: That could be the honest side, I'm not I'm not familiar, but at that, yeah, that, that Yeah, sounds yeah, yeah. Good. it
3: happened. It was called Operation Midnight, and that was when they were investigating um they were trying psychotropics out. So they would have these prostitutes bring these guys back, give them lsd and then watch them have sex with the prostitute
1: <laughs> you know in, in speaking of cops mm-hmm. speaking about all this stuff have you done any uh diving into delphi mm-hmm. okay well oh, yeah w- what about because we did a little bit on this not too long ago and um you, th- there's another example of the cops getting caught lying um what do you know why did it take for example like um I don't know where are you with that one because I remember the last time we were do- talking about this uh there was a just an incredible uh, tug of war going on between the judge and uh, and also uh the police were were really um they were just they're just caught being very uh I don't know I I'm not forthright about what they had
3: um see and that's the case where I think I don't think they were not being forthright I feel like they were keeping it close to the vest
1: just for the integrity of the investigation you mean sure yes that's what you thought okay I do
3: I do that's my personal opinion I don't think that they but you know I mean during an investigation they do do press conferences they do lie to the public if they haven't caught their perpetrator yet so a lot of people keep, you know forget that that they're when they do press conferences it's not always just to give the public information Sometimes it's to put things out there for the perpetrator to see if he makes a move or if it makes him do something or, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever they're investigating, they put things out there like that to kind of trip them up or make them think they're not on their tail or maybe think they are on their tail. So I don't think in the Delphi case that they're lying. I feel like it was deeper once they got into it because there's a... Keegan Klein, I don't know if you're familiar with that character in this case, but he was a huge piece of this. He was the one that communicated with the two girls the day that they were murdered, right? He set up the meeting to meet at the bridge with his social media, Anthony Schatz. Well, Keegan Klein wasn't there, so they they ended up arresting this Richard Allen. But Richard Allen and Keegan Klein could have communicated via this pedo stuff. So Keegan Klein was the pedo setting up meetings and um, catfishing young girls on Instagram with Abby and Libby included. And I believe that, and this is just my opinion because we don't know yet, but I do think that Keegan Klein was setting up meetings and maybe like selling that meeting to a, a pedo. You know what I'm saying? Like, he wasn't the one. He was making the hookups and then telling them where to go.
1: You see, these are the uh, these are the theories that you can you know have a little bit of time to to develop once you really are, are are in there. That's why I have to keep checking in on work that people like you are doing because it really does go um, it does it sometimes flies right by me, um, especially. Well, I mean, those
3: are details you're not going to get just reading an article. You I know? know those are. Yeah. So you're not going to know those things just. Because you're just you know reading something really quick, so yeah, I mean that's it's and there's so much more to Delphi than that. I mean, there's been the Odinism theory, um, but I do believe that this broke open with a pedo ring type thing going on, and I think it just was more than what they expected,
1: a lot more. Well, let Mm. me ask you this: going into the new year especially now that we've become brand new friends over here, what what are you what, what are you most excited to do this year? Do you have a lot of things, any personal projects or things that you're ready to, to release? Or are you just looking to, to have another good 12 months of doing your show and, and seeing where the news takes you? Well, no, what...
3: no, it's an exciting year, Frank. It's okay. 2024, and I'm on the cusp of 100K. So I'm almost to 100K on YouTube. And we have actually um, a trial coming up this this month. Which one? This is for Jennifer and James Crumbly in Michigan. They are the school shooter Ethan Crumbly's parents, and this is the first. And it's this has never happened before. The parents are charged with manslaughter because they purchased the gun that Ethan used to shoot four of his classmates. So they've been in jail since 2021 and just recently their trials were separated. So now we have, I believe it's going to be the mother. Jennifer Crumbly is going to be first and we're going to be streaming that on my channel starting January 26th.
1: These have been following this case for two years. These two have been in jail since for, for what, for almost three years
3: since December of 2021. And they took off after the shooting and went and hid in a warehouse in Detroit. They I think I there. Yeah, they're jerks, man. But they bought this 14-year-old a gun that clearly had mental issues and was asking them for help, telling him he heard voices. They didn't do anything about it. Um, they went and took him to a gun shop and bought him a gun. And he had this gun. And he killed his classmates. So they're on trial. And that's gonna be a really, really interesting one. And I think everybody should pay attention to that because it sets a precedence, right? Well, um, it,
1: it's a it's huge precedent, but I but you know, and that's the reason why I'm 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 thinking about where the hell, despite despite whether or not these people are scumbags and irresponsible, where the hell uh I fall on this in, in uh-huh. uh, you know, in the um the grander uh the grander question about civil liberties and um but when you think about a 14 year old being still the legal property of the, uh, of the parents. Mm -hmm. And if they are diagnosed, I I mean, I don't know. I I can see how they're, then again, I have nothing really, I I don't know where to, where to to point to in, in a court of law, but, and and of course this might really just be beholden to Michigan. This is Michigan state law too. This is
3: Mich this is just this has never happened before. So this was the prosecutor in Michigan, Oakland County.
1: But it's just Michigan. It it didn't cross state lines, right?
3: Oh no. Mm -mm. Okay. Small town. Oxford, Michigan is a little town. It's actually like 20 minutes from where I grew up in Romeo. So it hits close to home. So that one has been big for me. I followed that pretty extensively. And there's been a lot of, you know, stuff going on with the school board where they weren't following the guidelines of school shooting, um, prep, you know, their emergency plan wasn't in place. They weren't following it. So there's a lot that goes along, not just the parents, but it's going to be interesting, Frank, because he was charged as an adult and he got life with no parole.
1: At 14?
3: Well, yeah, now he's 16. He was just sentenced a couple months ago and in December. So he, um... Is charged as an adult, and this is what I think gets kind of tricky. So if he's charged as an adult, and then you're holding his parents accountable. Exactly. You know, I've had people say that, like, how can you have it both ways? But I think what it boils back down to is that the dad actually took him and purchased the gun, and then they posted on social media, this is his Christmas present, da-da-da-da-da, and they were also neglectful, according to neighbors and things. Um, I just don't. It, level. It, I'm
1: telling you, it, it, I just don't know. I just don't it's know. It's slippery whether, slope, isn't it's it? Very, very slippery because uh-huh. it is not illegal for a ten-year-old to own a uh, bolt-action rifle or or anything you can. Uh, they, you know, you can. And I, but and a I 6 sour. Bl- oh, I, I mean. Who cares? At that point, it, I mean, if it's a semi-automatic uh, a weapon, it, you pull the trigger once and you get one bullet come out of it, you can train with anything. And I think that children should, uh, should everybody should uh, should know what they're doing and to be able to use it like any other tool safely and understand uh, proper handling of it, just so that the more people understand uh, how to keep ourselves uh, from actually being able to, you know, keep ourselves from having any horrible accidents out of ignorance and to also be able to respond when people are actually in need of help, because we know that police aren't going to be there for everything that we need. So it's very odd. It's like you said, I'm going to be, I'd be surprised if this is not a big, big, big trial. You said it's this summer.
3: Yes. No, it's January 26th.
1: Oh, this month.
3: Yeah. It starts this month. Well, hers does.
1: I'd be First very surprised this month. If this gets buried, I'd be very surprised because I can, I can see how a lot this means is something very important to everybody.
3: It should be important to everybody. And I think everybody should pay attention. Yeah. Um, parents alike. I mean, cause not only, you know, could it happen with a gun? could it happen with something else? So it's important. I think for everybody to pay attention to this and see where it goes.
1: Well, um, uh, Jay, this has been very, very fun. I can't wait to have you back. I hope that you'll come back. And... I hope you'll have me back. Oh, absolutely. This is fun. Yay! This is very fun. And and we'll, we'll get into what we'll do is next time you come back, we'll we'll talk about what what's new out there, new developments. But then we'll also pick like one banner, creepy, incredible story um, at a time, and we'll just fine focus on something. We'll have like story time here with okay. uh with uh with jay and frank that'd be nice
3: yeah that'd be fun
1: so i'd love to so i know that you're climbing toward a hundred thousand and uh you you have a great show and we have a lot of great people in your audience we've all i've been watching them all mixing it up in the uh the youtube chat room and mm-hmm. and elsewhere you got really really awesome people out there I and i do
3: i have a great audience they're well, they're the best you're gonna skip they
1: really are. skip right past a hundred thousand so um let everybody know where to find you what you got coming up and uh and yeah
3: all right, well, you can find us on YouTube, on Facebook, and on X, um, and we've got, like I said, the Crumbly trial coming up, and we are live every Monday and Friday with videos in between,
1: so. Nice. What time is the live broadcast?
3: Um, I do mix it up. It's either 10 a.m. or 3 p.m. Those are my two sweet times. So. Oh, it's
1: nice. So you, you get a lot, yeah. I bet you get a lot of Europeans watching, too.
3: I do I do I love my Europeans actually one of my one of my right hand girls is is from the UK so
1: I gotta do some more you know early on in the day stuff oh actually I do on Tuesday tomorrow morning I around nine o'clock I usually just do a a coffee stream just for my iPad on YouTube so that's usually when we got we get a lot of our European friends there because it's finally a, an acceptable hour to be awake yeah for sure the, they
3: love the morning streams they're like
1: well I'll tell you this is a great time having you on and uh, you do great work you got a great voice I can talk to you all night thanks so much yeah I'm looking forward to the next time you're on and all the best to you and yours and uh, yeah everybody go check out Jay is for Justice I have her on the YouTube description I have her uh, tagged right in there so you can go hop over to her channel and elsewhere just go into the description I have the actual URL written out Uh, Jay until next time have a wonderful evening Thank
3: you so much, Frank. It was great. And hey, if any of your listeners come over, let me know you came from quite frankly.
1: Oh, they will. They're very, very, They're (laughs) very, (laughs) very proud bunch.
3: All right. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Love your show.
1: Have a good night. Thank you so much. You too. There you go. Ladies and gents. So here's what we're going to do. We still have another whole hour. And I would like to welcome all of our uh, new and old friends to come over with us for the second hour which is exclusively on quite TV, powered by Foxhole. There is no paywall, nothing like that. We're just uh, making little investments into, uh, the new media and into a very tumultuous year that is 2024. So if the lights ever do go out over here at YouTube and on Twitch and all the other places, and even rumble, you just never know. Cause there was a time when we thought that YouTube was going to be the thing that, uh, took it all down. Um, We're we're just trying to, in the meantime, until we hit some goals, we're just trying to double down on hanging out at the homepage on quitefrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole, Pilled. we got the Pilled.net link out there as well. When you come back with me on the other side of this brief intermission, I want to take your calls. I'm going to take your super chats. I want to see what you think about, uh, about Jennifer, about Jay, what you think about her work, the things that come up tonight. If the Zells are watching, maybe they'll call in. But I also have some other things I want to bring up. I want to finally bring up some thoughts I had about this this, uh, Netflix special. It is a miniseries called Escaping Twin Flames. I told Jay about it, too. I said, you've got to watch this. You've got to watch the Twin Flames thing. It's a cult, so it's more cult stuff. Uh, So some thoughts on that, because I've been teasing that for a while. Lauren and I finally watched the third and final episode over the weekend. And, uh, and yeah, great show so far. Great show. Anyway, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere except to quite frankly.tv or pill.net. We'll see you over there in a flash.
4: The rest of the show is available exclusively at pill.net. Follow the link in the description of the episode. Get signed up. It's that easy or head on over to quitefrankly.tv, just press play. No paywalls, no censorship, no strings attached. So head on over, quitefrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole and pilled.net.
5: It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Quite
0: frankly. Quite 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 frankly. We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Quite frankly. Joe Brand quite frankly in Roma Italia. Quite frankly, you going on Frank's show tonight. I want to get a coke. Can I get a coke? So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite friendly.
2: back Sing
1: with you Okay and on So that was wonderful That was wonderful if you ask me And um, I really felt comfortable with that one Had a good time uh i want also want to say to everybody out there because there's been a lot of new supporters of the show new sponsors of the show and as i say for everybody who is in who is already a sponsor and has been a sponsor you don't have to do anything different i love you just the way you are and just where you are you don't have to move anything but if you have in some way over the last couple of years or months said you know what i really like frank's show And I watch it all the time and I really want to be a part of, you know, the funding uh, element to it to make sure that it can get bigger and better. Well, I'm telling you, we are only 49% of the way from being sufficiently self-funded enough to reopen live, the live show to a full two hours across all platforms. I don't know how long it'll take us to get to that, like the 80% mark is where I calculated. All right, we can kind of, we can swing this again with all the staff that we're bringing on. So uh, if you are considering becoming a sponsor of quite frankly in 2024, please jump over to Subscribestar because that is how we are tracking this particular goal. Um, If you're already a sponsor, then you just stay right where you are and thank you again for making all this possible. And when I say all this possible, I mean like what happened today, what happened over the last couple of days. I just wanna stress how grateful I am to be able to face a tech challenge like this That makes me realize the best thing I can probably do right now is buy a new computer. And we're talking about, I mean, at least I'll be able to write it off in 2024. That's good. But I only had the flexibility to be able to bob and weave through these types of challenges uh, because of the monthly subscribers, especially the monthly subscribers, because that gives me a budget I can plan around. Uh, All of the gifts that you guys send, the PayPals, the tips, things like that, that is, you have no, it's immensely um, helpful. But to be be able to budget every month is a whole other level of security in planning for the future. And thank you all so much. We're only 49% of the way until we can open this back up across all of our uh, platforms again. So into the grab bag we go. Into oh, uh, into the, the Super Chats. Entitled82 on Rumble said, Loving my UN Terror t-shirt. People are giving me funny looks. It's great. Oh, wear it proudly. Wear that UN Terror shirt proudly, my friends. Absolutely. Who could ask for anything more? Um, I think it's a very simple message. It's a classic design, and that's just the, that's the way it is. Okay, let's see. Over on pilled, hello Sean Joe Chai Possum, uh, Sean Joe again. Willie, fix it. What's going on, Willie? Disco Daphne's hanging out. Filter Dog Joseph seven seven seven. This has been a supporter for years, but tonight will be my first book club. I'm ready for book club at nine o'clock. You know what I'm? I love. I love the fact that book club is at nine o'clock. I guess I also love the fact that I'm already home for that because I end this, I switch over to the new YouTube, we go live, and it's just going to be me and you. I don't have any any co-host. Wonderful uh, submissions in the official thread of the book club. Here is the title, Lucifer's Hammer. We did the first 111 pages. I got some notes, I got some thoughts, but the rest is going to be seeing what you guys and gals noticed and uh, this is gonna be a good one gonna be a good one and welcome joseph uh neo neo says um insight gino does a weekly show with john walsh's daughter megan walsh she'd be a great quite frankly guest i would love to learn more about them according to her john walsh was not a good dude there are very sus things with him and adam's death You may want to get in touch with uh, Jay as well. Thank you, Sean Joe, Khaleesi, uh, Jay Jules. NJSF says, sometimes it's hard to know if something is more frequent or observed more due to attention paid to it. And yes, that's something I have to, this is what we concentrate on for most people. But here, it's going to tie into some of my thoughts that I have on this Twin Flames thing. Because you want to talk about perspective. And you want to talk about some things that I noticed that I know the average Netflix user did not. We'll get into that in just a second. Matt, 1776, the head honcho at at pill.net at Foxhole. The man who has made the network possible, the functionality of the network possible to this level, to put that centerpiece, that beautiful, cozy centerpiece right in the middle of QuiteFrankly.tv. Thank you, Matt and Matt over there at pill.net. Thank you, Sean Joe, Four Cents, Sheeple Beware, and Linda Love just claimed a one-month bronze tier subscription. There she is. Now she's a sponsor on another platform. Thank you, Jason, as well. All right. You can send over those Super super Chats to quite quitefranklysuperchat.com. We'll get around to those in just a little bit. Uh, Jay Britt says, hey, Frank, great show to start the week. Jay is a great guest. I'll go follow her. Thank you. And here's for the tech fund. Keep climbing, brother. Well, that is very nice of you. Very nice of you. That was one hell of a uh, tech bundle. I see almost 100 of you might have already gone over to Jay for Justice's uh, uh, channel, which is awesome. All right. Let's get into this. Now, now as of tonight, tomorrow night is going to be very interesting. Uh, because I do not have the ability to go live at the studio, I'm going to be canceling band practice and we're going to get a full two hours here at home. In the beginning of the show, we are going to have a very special guest who's going to be, hes you're going to see who the very special guest is. And we're going to be doing a uh, pretty big call-in show. And I also want to put out a call to people. I want anybody with an incredible story, I don't care, an incredible life story. Um, to get it to just email the show and let us know why you have an incredible life story. How you grew up, the people you grew up around, uh, triumph over tragedy, whatever the hell it is. I want to hear about that because throughout this year, I want to start really getting down into really nice human interest stories. And I'd like to start here uh, w- with the homegrown crowd before anything else. So we're going to get into that a little bit more and i will um i'll advertise it more too but um as far as incredible stories goes i read i watched a few of them over the weekend with lauren we're starting to read an incredible story for book club over here but this twin flames thing this twin flames thing is incredible so i'm just going to give you a little bit of a synopsis some stories some thoughts i have in my head and then i want to start taking your calls about anything that happened tonight and if you have heard anything like this, and if you yourself have ever had to escape a cult, okay. Now, twin flame, escaping twin flames, it focuses on these two people, uh, Jeff and and Shalia, and they essentially started this multi level marketing cult. But instead of selling pampered chef kitchen knives, uh, they are in the business of essentially preparing people spiritually to attract into their life their twin flame, which is their spin on a soulmate. Only thing is that there is only one. I guess if you have a soulmate, there is only one too, right? Can you have multiple soulmates? Some of you probably think maybe over the course of a lifetime, especially if you had one spouse and they died or and then you you fell in love with somebody else. I guess the, who knows, but maybe one takes precedent over the other. They're very tricky. Humans and life, and relationships, all that. But with this Twin Flames thing, this this cult, Jeff and Shalia, they pretty much tell people that there is only one Twin Flame, that is it, and everyone has one, and essentially you have to, if you do not do not go for that one person, you are not with the right person, that's it. They are the only person you are meant to be with, and once you find them, you cannot give up. So, only thing is that only Jeff and his enslaved wife, Shalia, are able to confirm with their magical vision who your twin flame actually is. And they get around to forcing people to do things like literally violate restraining orders in order to get with people who are supposedly their twin flame, but otherwise don't want anything to do with them. That's the kind of stuff that they were up to. And um, so, uh, but again, like Jay was talking about, it's so sad to see vulnerable people. These vulnerable people, desperate to be loved, desperate to have companionship in their lives, and that is always the starting point in any of these cult stories—that there was a void, and suddenly the void was filled, and they just go with it. Now, here I, I have something over here. This guy Jeff. I want I want you to take a look at him. Jeff and Shalia, here they are, right here. Hold on. There they are. Jeff creeped Lauren out. And he gets creepier and creepier as time goes on. But um, let's see here. Now, here, listen to a little bit of this. This is when they started.
2: And we're coming to you today for a brief video to make you aware of a response that we have created.
1: This was from a couple years ago. And remember the video that came out, this thing that just came out on Netflix was only two months ago. So they probably knew that people were digging on them and that they were going to get uh, they were going to get exposed. And these two are nuts because they started reorganizing this entire thing, which started out as almost like just a really gimmicky dating thing, but that it was very new agey, and it they turned it into actually into a new age church uh, where they were at the. The the beginning of it. At one point, there was a very strange period of time inside of the documentary where Shalia was pregnant. And, of course, there was something wrong with the pregnancy and it had to be terminated after a while. But while she was pregnant, they were talking about how the baby that they were about to have was like a perfect twin, its own twin flame, that the, the baby was going to be born and was almost going to be, like, its own soulmate. Like, they, they were creating, like, the chosen one. It was so crazy what they were selling to people, and many of them still are there. This is ongoing, by the way. It's not something that wrapped up. Uh, there was no criminal prosecution. Maybe they're building toward that. I don't know, but there's something very odd going on, and it's definitely traumatic. It's trauma-based mind control, no doubt about it. Um and I believe this is all going on out there in, in, in Michigan, but um, they're collecting all this money from people as membership. It's like Scientology in that respect, people buying their way into leadership roles, really believing in the work, and then it gets really, really nuts. And then from there, it gets nutser and nutser and nutser. Jeff and Shalia, they start focusing inward on the current crop of members that they have, and uh, they start pairing everybody with each other, they're they're just making pairs, twin flames within the group. Like there's, there'll be special missives that are 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 put out there within the group, and they'll say like, "Hey, we have an announcement. Here are the twin flames that we just like received. They saw who who it is, and you are the twin flame." And now here's the thing: because there's so few people in there, because the ratio of like men to women was so off, uh, they're forcing. Not only are you seeing people getting forced into heterosexual uh, uh, relationships that they can, they're they clearly not comfortable with, but they are just smiling and getting on with it. Like they're putting these young impressionable girls, with uh, this one girl was paired up with a literal homeless man and everybody looks completely uncomfortable talking about, you know, we're a little, little... Some, a couple of them actually said, we were a little upset at first, but, I, you know, we, we got to work at it. We got to work. Like, no. But they'll, they're, they're accepting it. So everybody's getting their assigned twin flames, and they just go along with it. Now, everybody's abandoning their families, as you might expect. The whole three-part series is filled with testimony of parents who haven't seen their children in years because it's still going on, like I said before. But then the craziest part is this, that they start running out, like I said, of people to pair each other with. And that's when they get into not only forcing people into homosexual um, relationships, but transgenderism, okay? Forcing members into gay relationships, and they complied, and forcing members into accepting that they weren't actually women, they weren't actually men, and vice versa, whatever, Encouraging women to get, you know, double mastectomies. A couple of them went and did that. Uh, it, 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 the hormone therapy, it's incredible. Incredible. And even though you have two women together, like let's say they force two women together in this group, the the, so, the supposed nature of a twin flame is still binary. So even though that they were forcing people into gay, gender-bending relationships, they were assigning each person in the relationship a, a a divine masculine or a divine feminine spirit so that even if you had two women paired up one of them was actually the man okay which which is what made it work which is what made it work because you needed that yin and yang so this is pro, this is one of the things that actually started getting a lot of these people to to leave the cult and and they they had an, at least enough defectors to want to put their name and faces to this this uh this thing here this documentary, but um but you see. And it, it, it's just so fascinating, and so horrific, but this is what I couldn't get over. Because they're so deep into the transgender stuff. Where you have all these parents, these mothers that obviously they will, they're will they willing to do anything to have their daughters back even though they feel compelled to call their daughters he because they just don't want to scare them off. They just want them to be back even though that the last time they saw them they actually were fully intact women and now they are, you know, uh, uh, just just mutilated chests. They've taken all the hormones. So their their faces are are uh, bulging and with bushy, uh, whatchamacallit, call uh, it beards and all that stuff. It's nuts. But this is what I couldn't get over, and this is what I was talking about with perspective. But from before, when the NJSF was talking about what we're looking for, is usually a little bit more pronounced because we're, you know, that's that's where our consciousness is. Whereas if you look at everything overall. You know, I don't believe that every violent criminal in the country is is actually you know offering up every last one of their victims to the altar of of Lucifer I don't believe that but I just I just wonder I just wonder with with the way that the way that people are so low-key massaged into Satanism that worship of self the indulgence the, the uh, just pretty much that humanist behavior where it's just complete debauchery. And I, 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 you just wonder about where it all goes to. I don't know if there's a metric for that, if there ever is going to be. So that's why whenever I talk to an investigator or a broadcaster like Jay, I like to, I like to see what exactly they're coming, what's coming up in their work and where the patterns are forming. But still, this is what I couldn't get over. So, Twin Flames the documentary shows how and this is from my perspective shows how sociopolitical pressure and trauma relates into expressions of gay and transgenderism in society elevated expressions i should say okay it's a this this show was a microcosm but very striking and because Netflix is Netflix, once the Twin Flame story starts getting into insane gender theories, they kept cutting away to this so called transgender expert uh, professor type or whatever, some lunatic academic to continue to attempt in the most feeble and obnoxious of ways possible to create some sort of a differential between the Twin Flames, the cult in which, you know, the object of the documentary and the cult that is reporting on Twin Flames, which is Netflix and their corporate interest and what they push on to people. Because Netflix is not averse to transgenders. They're not averse to transgenderism. Everything you watch on Netflix, it, they have to find a way to inject how, you know, if you're watching a, 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 a documentary on the toys that made us, they have to find a way to get a gay transgender person to be sitting in there and go, you know, as a gay transgender person growing up in the 80s, we didn't have blah, blah, blah. I love blah, blah. like, oh, great. Great, great. I'm very happy you, you were able to express that for the five transgender people who are watching right now in the country. You know, it's just something that they stand behind and they push. So it was incredible to me to see this, to see a cult reporting on the activities of a cult, and because and here I actually have a little bit of it. I I got it up here. Take a listen to this. This is um, this is part a small part of the third episode. Now the, the the two the two people you see right there on the screen. I think the one on the left is a guy who's transitioning into. Uh, into a a girl, he thinks. And the one on the right was born a female, had the mastectomy, took all of the the drugs, so now uh, has a beard and all that shit, and completely mangled themselves. And now here comes Netflix's ambassador to the trans community to try to put some kind of a buffer between the cult that they're covering and the cult that they are. Listen... Oh, no. As Hold on. Wait, let me get this up.
2: trans people by saying, hey, you can take hormones or get surgery. I see Jeff and Chilia supporting anti-trans people by saying the gender you are is not determined by you. It's determined by the people who have power over you. But, but, but that's the whole point there.
1: Uh, it's peer pressure. It's not, this is, I mean, the people who have power over you, who has more power over you uh, when you're younger than your teachers, than media personalities, than, I mean, than, you know, these these big cult of personality politicians. So they're, they're getting upset because these two um, cult leaders over here, Jeff and Shalia, are assigning people to their partners and assigning what their genders are. And he's like, that's not not right. You should be able to determine what your gender is. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If these two freaks over here assigned you a gender and you picked one out in the morning, it is just as legitimate. It is just that if you picked one out, if you picked a new gender out for yourself in the morning, it is just as legitimate as these two people assigning it to you at night. This was the most fascinating thing about the whole thing, and this thing was fascinating. It was all psychological. Crazy. Look a little bit more.
0: So a masculine body.
2: What I think is... No, we'll go back the to The gender you are is not determined by you. It's determined by the people who have power over you.
0: Manifest for yourself a masculine body.
2: What I think is very troubling with the Twin Flames universe story is that people might hear about this group and say, oh, this is proof that transness is some kind of cult, that transness is something that is coerced. And nothing could <laughs> be further from the truth.
1: It's, a, a- it's the only, it's, of course it's the truth. You see? Look at this. They had to, as soon, as soon as this started going into transgenderism, I, I sat back, like around, around uh, episode two of three, I sat back, I said, how are they going to cover this? And that's when this little twerp started popping up. That's when this little twerp started popping up again. Let's just listen to that.
0: Manifest for yourself a masculine body.
2: What I think is very troubling with the twin flames universe story is that people might hear about this group and say, Oh, this is proof that transness is some kind of cult. That transness is something that is coerced, and nothing could be further from the truth. This is a group that is not in the mainstream of what trans people do and what trans people believe. It's
1: in. Cal- it, see, I mean, it's, it was that. It's just crazy. That's crazy to me, man. I mean, it, it's a fucking fascinating story. But if you're Netflix. You can't just tell that story without creating some sort of an intellectual buffer for the demographic you know that you are going for, chief among everybody else. You can't just tell that story. Or, or else a semi-conscious individual will say, well, this is just a microcosm of the insane popular culture that we live with right now. This little tiny dating cult is a microcosm of the program that is being run coast to coast on all of us. So we have a cult reporting on a slightly more insane cult. And uh, and, and, and that's, I think that's pretty, pretty fascinating situation right there. So my question to you before we go on a little bit of a break—it's eight thirty-four. My question to you for the last twenty minutes, even though you can call in with anything that's on your mind, and we'll leave the the uh, we'll leave it open. The lines open is: Have you ever had to escape a cult? And I'm talking real deal. I'm talking about you realized something. You re- somehow you realized that a group that you were in had you isolated they had you scammed, they had you hamstrung on work and they had your um, they had your your money accounted for. You were being abused in some way for at least for a time you were completely controlled. I I if you know if it doesn't come through on the phone, you can call in with a fake name or whatever the hell it is or you can email me. Um, but we'll see. I definitely want to hear from you if that is the case. Because this is very, very fascinating and I think it has a lot to do with what we were talking about in the first, the first half of the show with, uh, with Jay. Because it really is all about human psychology after all. When you're talking about a crime, you're talking about an act that was committed that had to be born from some kind of a motivation. What was the origin story of that, of that killer, of that, uh, of that assailant? Everything. What was the satisfaction? Where, where, where did it all, where was it all born? So, uh, we're gonna take a little bit of time in the break, and when we come back, got your call, your uh, phone calls. I think I have the Norm McDonald. Um, I think I have the. Uh, what is it? The, wait a second, give me a second. What did I break? Oh, I did, I did. Okay, I got the Man Great commercial. You ever see that? That's, that's one of my favorite norm mcdonald uh, compilations out there all the times that he <laughs> that he he plugged the man grate and he eventually got dropped got dropped from it told he couldn't he wasn't allowed to use it anymore all right anyway we got that when we come back your calls so get your phones ready 914-200-0269 be right back
0: What is the man great? you ask? Okay. Huh? I'll Fine, I didn't. But You please. didn't ask. <laughs> it is 100% made in America, cast iron grilling grates. Iron. You don't pronounce
5: it iron. That's, That's right. what everybody no, tells me. No, no. The word I-R-O-N is iron. iron. No, no, iron. Are
0: that Are you rib- when you say iron?
2: Uh, <laughs> you know what, flicking. don't
0: be like fucking Larry King. That motherfucker, I say iron and he's up my asshole for fucking four days. I, I, it iron. should be iron. Yeah. That's what makes English the world's toughest language. Yeah, you know right sure It is because the toughest, it's the toughest to language it, to, to me learn. It's the easiest. Right. Have you heard of the man grade Yes, I have. You have? Yeah. Do you have a father? <laughs> man grade is the perfect gift for this Father's Day. Is he alive? Yeah. Yeah 100% made in America. If he was dead it would have been a really bad moment in the commercial <laughs> Your dad's alive. No Fuck. <laughs> God damn it I'm sorry about your dad. That's fine. (laughs) Your father's dead. (laughs) Is your mom still alive? My mom? Yeah. No, she's dead. Jesus Christ, is any of your relatives fucking alive? This man (laughs) Grace. They are revolutionizing the way people grill. (laughs) What, Adam Hagen? It's true. You haven't heard of the revolution? You can put chicken on this or steak. That's not that unique. (laughs) It weighs a lot of pounds. Is that heavy? Again. 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 No more flare-ups. You know know, on your barbecue has always been flare-ups? Why are you laughing? You're making a mockery out of the man grate. Chicken steak has never tasted so good. Again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs> this commercial is like a mini-series. Well, that was our only sponsor. <laughs> yeah, now we found out we lost Mangrate as a sponsor. <laughs> and then earlier today, I think we were told legally we can't say we lost them as a sponsor, even. Yeah, I think we were still waiting to find out if we were allowed to say that.
1: Now Now if if you were man great would you not uh, uh, you have to up that sponsorship You have to up that sponsorship. That's the greatest kind of advertise. That sticks with people forever. But that just it just goes to show how stiff people in in marketing and advertising they got to loosen up. Oh my gosh. Oh how amazing to have a sponsor like that. Anyway, Let's take a call, shall we? First one up, I could have expected this call. Frank Zell is on the show. What's going on, Frank?
5: Hey, Frank, what's happening, brother? Long time ha- no talk.
1: Yeah, hey, long time no talk. How'd you enjoy uh, uh, Jays for Justice tonight?
5: Ah, she's, uh, you know, pretty good. Pretty good. Not, you know, uh, we don't really relate to her, my brother and I, but, you know, for what she does, she's very good at what she does. Hey. Right? <laughs> I ain't got my brother
1: on the other line. Let me just bring him aboard. Oh, okay. We got both of them. It's a package deal tonight, everybody. All right, Jim. Hey, guys. Hey. Well, first of all, first of all, you guys, uh, it it should just be said once again: there is such a profound difference in your voices uh, from the phone calls that we do, and for example, the 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 three part series that you did with um, True Crime Garage.
5: Oh uh, yeah I th- I think they may have tweaked with my microphone a little bit to to have it have like a different sound and also Frank you were on your own um microphone I, I was coming um you know via a, a different computer a computer mic so it, I think your mics were the mics were also different but you know whatever
1: Yeah it w- it was just clear it was just clear to see that you guys were not on telephones that was that's pretty much it Yeah yeah So so what's brought you guys to, uh, to, to my, my doorstep tonight?
5: Well, you said, you know, we were, I was, I was listening. Jim, were you listening? Or did I yeah. I was
1: you? Listening. I, yeah.
5: I was kind of listening and dozing at the same time. <laughs> well, yeah, It's a I long day. Say, uh, you know, that, that the Zell's out there call up. So we came a running.
1: Well, Hey, uh, well, you know, since, since we're talking true crime and all that, I just was just wondering what, uh, what your thoughts would have been, um, you know, especially with the, the Mormon church thing, is that something that was always on your radar or did it become more and more pronounced when you really started digging into the Hamblin case?
5: I I think it was, I think it became, I mean, I have always, I've heard stuff about the, the Mormon church. I never really worked the case per se. Yeah, to, to me, I, it definitely came the more recent, the more we looked into the case. Hmm. And you and you could tell just like how far back it goes within the church. I mean, it's like bloodlines with these people. Names carry weight. You know, like the Hamlin name carries weight in that church. What was the other name, Jimmy? Recalled off the top of your head? Yeah, Levitt. Oh yeah, yeah, Lev, the Levitt name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these the families intermarried, you know, way the back. Intermarried. When. Way back. Way back. So but uh yeah, it's It was interesting, uh, you know, know, having Jay on and listening to her because we we view everything from a different, uh, like a different lens where the true crime, like we don't consider ourselves true crime. You know, Mm -hmm. we deal with crime, but it's one thing to discuss a case and to read affidavits and you know you, you got to be professional you got to have a, a very good speaking voice you know you have to be good at it just like you you know not everybody can host a show you, there's a way you speak and there's a way you carry yourself that makes it work jay does a very good job at that from you know we try to solve cases totally different creature totally different animal in the way you do things I mean, people always say to us, "Oh, you know, you, you should have got your own podcast, or you should have you should put stuff on Twitter." That's like the opposite of what you're supposed to do when you do what we do. Well Let me. You can't you, dig up. a... am sorry, Frank. Go
1: ahead. No, no, I, I, it, it's. I totally get you get what you're saying there. You can't do um, because if you're doing, if you're actually going out there and you are working sources and you're following leads and all that stuff, the last thing you you want to be doing is is telling everybody about your your day-to-day at the office. I mean, that's just got to be something very, you know, meticulously done, and you leave the... And, of course, then, after all is done and you have a story to tell, that is when you go to somebody like Jay or you go to somebody like True Crime Garage or you stop by over here and, and talk a little bit. So, But let me ask you this, because you're talking about trying to solve crimes. Um, uh, aside from you guys just knowing that your work is good and having the evidence splayed out in front of you and being able to come to your own conclusions and being confident that you know exactly what happened and how it happened, uh, and essentially having solved the crime. When it comes to actually having a crime solved, on the books, the books have been closed on something, and you guys can say, we are the ones that brought this thing to completion. Do you have a record you can point to in that respect?
5: See, uh, and I know I told this story once before. Not going to tell it again because just be repetitive. You know what we do. It's not like you know we're not professionals. We don't have credentials. So you know there may be some. You know, in a way, there may be a backhand type of. You may play a, a small part in something. There's been a few times, you know, the success rate when you're doing this stuff isn't that great. As, you know, as you know, your listeners know, these cases, especially the ones we do, which, you know, are ritualistic in nature, usually group oriented in, in nature. There's not huge prosecutions. You know, you, you, you fight the best you can to get done what you can get done. And, you know, I've had some success. You know, my biggest success was my biggest failure. That's the Arkansas case. You know, straight up, saw that one. Mm-hmm. Who got arrested? Nobody. But I, I fulfilled at that time that need, that prideful need in me. You know, because it wasn't about anybody, but myself back then.
1: Well, you're also you know, lucky. You're uh, also lucky that you got out of that Arkansas case alive, based on what you told the audience.
5: Well, you know. That's thanks to you know Officer Mike not allowing me to go to Arkansas with him, you know. So I I never got to go to Arkansas. You know, we saw those murders. Well, the one murder, but then it turned out to be others. You know, I we you know I did that from over the phone. That's what it, it was. It, it it was such a prideful thing for me because I I wanted to see if I could do it. Then I did. I wasn't thinking about the victims. None of that. I just wanted to push it to see how to see if I could do it and we did it, but it led, it was just this it, it, it just was a very uh, destructive end. You know, officer Mike died, you know, wife or widow, kids without a father, you know, that boys, that boy on the side of the road, nobody went to jail for him. The kids on the tape, nobody went to jail for them. But we figured it out. We figured out, me and Officer Mike, all right, who who killed the kid on the side of the road? All right, it was these people on the tape. And oh. then Officer Mike gets shot in the head, and that's the end of that.
1: Let me ask you this, and, and uh, you know, we have limited time tonight. I want to take a couple more calls, but I can always go for at least a couple hours and you guys call in. But would you ever, is it completely off limits you would never, ever consider about, somewhere down the line trying to get in touch with like the eldest son or the eldest of officer mike's children to let them know oh
5: no no never never ever never ever would i ever do that because i did something so bad in my mind now you know i didn't i didn't force that that cop to get to do what he did i just pointed things out And then when he knew that I had, that my information was connecting, he ran with it. But then it got deeper. The deeper he went, you know, it was corruption in his own little police station and in the town. Now, if I don't call him, does he, you know, does he push it the way he did? That's what I always deal with, with that. And I, you know, that's like I, it, it was my biggest mistake back then was just, you know, not not thinking of the victims, pushing it the way I did, and then Officer Mike gets shot and then you get kids that grow up without a father. Yeah. So yeah, what I do you think I wanna like call up his eldest son? And say, hey, you know, how did
1: things work out for you after all? I no, broke loose. I I was you know I mean? No, I I understand that, and that's why ultimately I know it would probably be a no from you because it's just so. How do you even approach the situation? But I do think about I do think about closure if there even is closure to be had. Um, you know, you can always just tell children that they died in the line of, of duty, but that that actually might be that if the father was so, with showed so much valor that he was, he was wanting to do something that a lot of, obviously, a lot of people that he worked with had wanted no hand in and was actually helping move along. I mean, I, I don't know. I just think about the virtue that that their father carried with them in life, how much of that would be worth knowing about. But then I, I understand so much time has passed by and everybody's gotten on with their lives. It's probably just better off to leave it there. And you don't know who's still uh, keeping tabs, you know?
5: Exactly. Right. I mean, I, I think I got lucky... <laughs> I, got, I was fortunate that I didn't go to Arkansas. I was fortunate that, you know, nothing happened to me. I was able just to burn that tape and just, you know, put it behind me, try to deal with it. You know, I still have nightmares about that case. All these years later, things that were on that tape still give me nightmares to this day. So that's something I deal with. And then that case shortly lived, uh, went, walked right into Ramsey, which is why I was so cautious about the town. Because I
1: came off of that, and let me also tell you, so, it's, it's, and yeah. I guess that's where I'll where we can end this one, this shorter one for tonight. And Jim, you can take this one away. Mm-hmm. Um, is that when we were listening to doing that group listening that the uh, the, the group viewing of the three part video that you did with True Crime Garage on John Benet Ramsey? I think the most striking thing was all of the time that was spent in episode one, just. Profiling the crimes that merely set the stage for what would be uh, John Benet Ramsey. They're like there's so, all of the activity and the abuse going on in that town that was at, was a, a a prelude to what became the very national story of John Benet's death. It was just crazy. It was just so insane for the first time to actually even hear. Um, to, to hear that right there, because then when, when a person knows what you guys know about the town, about the institutions, about, uh, you know, the massive amount of people that had to be involved in that kind of a local and regional culture, um, to know that, then there's, there's just nothing you could ever, you can ever just, you can never just look at John JonBenet Ramsey's story of her uh, short life. And say, oh, that just that happened in a uh, that was a, a tragedy that happened in a vacuum. Yeah,
5: that, that definitely didn't happen in a vacuum. And we always say that John Binet was a microcosm of what was going on in Boulder. And, you know, we didn't touch on a lot of things either. That was, you know, those were several cases we talked about that was happening in the town. There were many, many, many others It was basically institutionalized pedophilia Hmm. was in Boulder. And we didn't get into public servants, prominent city officials that were also pedophiles that we know the names of, that were caught with materials in their offices. You know, we didn't even go into that. But when pedophilia is is allowed to run amok in a place, you're going to wind up with a child like John JonBenet. Somebody always dies when pedophilia runs amok in the community. Just what happens? They get carried away. They're untouchable, and they think they can do whatever they want. And then something happens, and then the cover-up begins because then they use their power, their pull, their influence to bury what they've been doing. Or you know, in Boulder's case, what you know, Boulder did a tremendous job that they were able to protect their. The image of the city, or you know, and, and is still doing it. Just because we did a show on True Crime Garage doesn't mean, oh yeah, we just destroyed Boulder. No, Boulder is still considered one of the top cities to live in, in the country. If you have children, I would not suggest moving there. But yeah, I mean, you know, the singulars voted in that book. When a when a town tries to protect itself, the truth becomes obscured. The case was always about the past. That's why this case hasn't been solved. This is why people twenty going on 28 years now, They all these different theories, you know, it, it, people have been talking about it nonstop for years. We know this case was the original case. You know, you had somebody on, true crime. True crime started with this case. It was the Internet was new. And the Ramsey case exploded so fast that you had the entire news industry in the town and, you know, people who were online or had computers at that time, you had hundreds or thousands of message boards dedicated to one case. You know, it took me, I didn't have a computer till 2000. I worked the case the first four years without a computer. Everything was, you know, via a black phone in my kitchen. <laughs> but uh rotary
1: yeah, yeah. Was, it oh, a ro- was it a oh, sorry, was it was it was a rotary phone
5: uh at that time it was not it was a it was a beat up black phone with the push dial the great with uh with great dials gotcha Push
1: dial. i thought they get you know, it it it'd just feel a lot more authentic if it was rotary um again <laughs> no seriously but uh, well so then what do you are you guys all um are you done with that? Or are you are you going to do follow ups with uh, True Crime Garage?
5: That's uh, Jim. <laughs> that that that's you know that's up to Nick. Uh, well, it looks like it was Garage. very. It was, uh,
1: looks like it was very well received, even outside, even outside of our audience. It was very well received. People have their, their minds are blown.
5: go ahead. And it's the, you know the funny thing is you know people will say you know it's you know you well, you know, they're not necessarily professionals. You know, we're not. We're, you know, we're, you're not, we're not, you know, well, they're not law enforcement. How can they speak to this? You're right. We're not, you know. But then again, how did the professionals and the law enforcement do for 27 years in that case? Not very well. And, and um, that's what we tr- That's what we try to tell people. You know, it, you got to understand, Frank, in the beginning of this case, the amount of people that would yell at us you know, that we would contact and say, hey, you know, this is what we're digging. You can't do it. You're not allowed. You're not a cop. And, you know, our response would be, well, you know, if the cops ain't doing their job, this is what we do. We fill a void. And we've been saying that for when people ask us why we do it for 30 years. If reporters ain't going to do it and the cops ain't going to do it, then we'll try our best with our limited resources to do what we, we can do and run a parallel investigation and try to get the information in the right hands. But when you have a narrative like the Ramsey case, that you are blocked every avenue, there's no media to go to. No media would want any of our information. It's not. It's not like we just thought of this and say, hey, you know what? Let's go on True Crime Garage. We, you know, we mentioned it with you, but go back to like 2002,
1: 2006. Oh, oh I know. You know.
5: nobody would touch it.
1: Yeah, you, because
5: it, we went against the narrative.
1: At that time, at that time, you're you're talking about the best thing you can you can muster is there was only a couple of radio shows in the world that would t- that would touch it. And um, it would have to be handled with very, very, very delicately um, to the point where almost nothing could possibly be said. Or you are uh, you're getting your thoughts and your theories and your evidence published on uh, pamphlets at, at, uh, you know, gun shows and flea markets. And that's just um, that's just really that was the extent of that was the extent of uh, of new media. And and, you know uh, what's
5: funny, Frank? Yeah, Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off since you're from, you know, since we're from the same area, WABC radio. So yeah. go back to like the mid to late 90s. You remember a host on that uh, on that station uh, named Lynn Samuels? Yes. Mm. I would go on her show once in on a blue moon. Back then she called me Frank the militia guy. Because <laughs> of my because of my anti you know, government stance. And she would And as the Ramsey case started to happen, I would talk, you know, she asked me, oh, so what do you do? And I'm like, I I work for UPS, and then, you know, I do some investigation stuff on the side. And I mentioned the Ramsey case, and she would, every now and then, uh, allow me to talk about it. I I wouldn't give a lot. But even she was fascinated back then, and she she was like, you can't, and she said the same thing. Who are you to do that? You're not a cop. Yeah. We've heard that for 30 years. (laughs) She, She died.
1: Uh, Let me see here. Uh, she, hold on. She died on Christmas, yeah. Christmas Eve, two thousand eleven, from a heart attack.
5: Mm. Yeah, uh, I dude, was wondering.
1: Baby. Well, listen, guys. Uh, I thank you. So I have to start book club. So I really thank you for for calling in, and uh, and filling the time. I appreciate the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait to do it again, and we'll we'll organize something else. We we got to come up with really fresh, fun things to do because we get there's so much to do. And uh, but thank oh. you. For, I love getting your your oh. reactions to this stuff.
5: Frank, I mentioned it in a DM to you real quick. It's think it over. Like a, a crossfire true crime show. You know, you have a guest, just have two guests on with the opposing views. Like you're like Jay tonight. Yeah. You know, obviously she was on the cop side of things.
1: Oh, with Delphi? Had
5: Bob Mata on the other side and just moderate it and let him go and let the fireworks fly.
1: I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that with, it, you know, I said, "Oh man, I I, I want if if Bob Mata was on the show uh, <laughs> with Jay and and you know respectfully, if it's just Jay's uh, Jay's uh, point of view and her opinion that the cops were just keeping things close to their their vest and Delph- with the Delphi thing so that they wouldn't compromise an investigation." But uh, to your point, the cops changed witness statements. So how okay, how good. I mean, they, they
5: lied about everything frankly I mean they lied about everything the only thing they have on this guy he's sitting in prison because of one bullet they have nothing no phone no electronic stuff zero now you know it's, it, it, just an idea you just have a funny debate I don't know if I could you know ever be a guest on that because I get too worked up and I would be <laughs> I would come across uh, as attacking your guest
1: or, yeah well um, it, it's definitely something I need to I need to do i I, I think that would be that would be really, really great programming right there. And um, and I'll, I'll see what I can I can pull together on that. Maybe that's the kind of stuff that you guys can help me produce. But thanks again for the call tonight. And I'll talk to you after the show.
5: You got it. Frank. Okay, Frank, have a Frank, good night.
1: Good night, boys. Be well. I hope that 2024 is the year that we can get both of the Zell brothers in studio. Um, That would be great. Both of the Zell brothers in studio. People would be like, who are these guys? And what are those voices? This doesn't sound like the Zell's. It doesn't look like them either. I had something else completely different in my head. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you to Sentinel, to Joe Elaine. Jay Sims As if genitalia don't determine gender, then why does changing them matter? Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. A really good one right there. All right, that's it for tonight. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, right here from Studio B. And uh, for those of you who are getting ready for... Book Club will be live in about three minutes.
0: I'll catch you on the flip side.
1: Quite frankly, it's filmed before a live studio audience, and now our super chatters, starting with Jay Britz and ending with Jay Britz. Thank you to all of our wonderful gold pillars. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen tomorrow is another day and i thank you so much for tonight no after hours programming not that i can see right now i gotta do uh book club and but maybe i'll put something on late night talk to you in a little bit good night